Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me this morning to Genesis 28. Over the past few weeks, we have looked at um, our second patriarch of the faith and his family, Isaac. We looked at um, his wife, Rebecca, and their two sons last week, Jacob and Esau. And if you were here with us last week, then you um, saw what a truly dysfunctional family looks like. Um, after last week's message, I hope that all of us walked from this place and, and turned and looked at our spouses and thought, man, we're not that bad off, right? Some of you may even high-fived and said, hey, we're normal um, when you got to your car. But when we left off last week, we saw the consequences of this family's sin. Esau would become a wanderer in the land, and Jacob would be forced to leave the land. And this morning, what we're going to see is we're going to see um, Jacob, who is our third patriarch of the faith. We'll see him go from a place of sin, where he was last week, to a place of worship, where we will see him this week. So notice our first point this morning. Isaac blessed Jacob. In verses 1 and 2, we read, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. And directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So this is a different Isaac even than we saw last week. Last week we saw Isaac's defiance. Instead of being obedient to the Lord and blessing Jacob, he sought to bless Esau instead. And we know this was completely against God's plan, wasn't it? God made it clear back in Genesis chapter 25 that the older will serve the younger. But because Esau was Isaac's favorite, what did he try to do? He tried to um, circumvent God's plan and bless Esau instead of Isaac. But what we see this morning with Isaac is we see Isaac finally become the spiritual leader of his home that we know that God wanted him and expected him to be from the very beginning. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you think it's easy being a parent? Raise your hand. Moms, is it easy being a parent? Raise your hand if you think it is. Dads, is it easy? Let me ask you this. How many of you feel that it's actually a little bit more difficult um, to parent your children now that they're not under your roof than when they were under your roof? Yeah, last hour, man, almost every hand went up. Um, Because it gets difficult, more difficult, I am told. I'm not looking forward to that. But that's what I have been told by many of you in this room. You know, here's the thing. Even though it is not easy, it can be very rewarding, can't it? This morning we see Jacob go to Haran. But before he goes, he he receives a warning from his father. So notice the warning. Isaac told Jacob to leave the land and not take a Canaanite woman as his wife. What was wrong with the Canaanites? Well, if you read through the pages of the Old Testament, you see many things that were wrong with them. They worshipped idols and they engaged in other practices that were offensive to God. And because of that, God did not want Jacob to take a wife from, from, from the Canaanites, but instead he wanted them to go um, to, to the, the land of Rebekah's brother. So, since the beginning of time, it has always been God's plan that you and I marry a believer, right? 
In 2 Corinthians 6.14, we read, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? As parents, man, our prayer should be for our kids to find and marry believers, right? Man, I hope that you pray for your kids even now that they will find a godly spouse to marry. Now, some of you may look at your, the spouse of your, your child or maybe even your child and realize that they are not a believer. Does that mean that you are to give up on them? By no means. You keep praying for them even harder than you probably prayed for them when they were under your roof, right? Most of you have never heard of this artist, okay? But back in the 90s, there was a, a Christian artist by the name of Wayne Watson. How many of you know who Wayne Watson is? Okay, a couple of you, and you're all old like me. But he, he, he sings a song called Somewhere in the World Today. And I remember back in the day, this was one of those songs that I would just put on repeat and listen to over and over. But I want to read to you some of the lyrics. We read, Somewhere in the World Today. A little girl will go out to play, all dressed up in mama's clothes, at least the way that I suppose it goes. Somewhere in the world tonight, before she reaches to turn out the light, she'll be praying from a tender heart, a simple prayer that's a work of art. And I don't even know her name, but I'm praying for her just the same, that the Lord will write his name upon his heart. Because somewhere in the course of this life, a little boy will need a godly wife. So hold on to Jesus, baby, wherever you are. Somewhere in the world out there, that little girl's learning how to care. She's picking up her mama's charms or maybe swinging around in her daddy's arms. Somewhere in the world to be, though the future's not really clear to me, there could be a tender love grounded in eternal love above. And I don't even know her name, but I'm praying for her just the same that the Lord will write his name upon her heart. Man, what a great prayer. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren to find godly spouses that they're going to do life with. Again, if your child is an unbeliever or married to an unbeliever, don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. Following the warning, Isaac um, transfers his blessing to Jacob. So notice the transfer here in verses 3 through 5. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land and your sojourners that God gave to Abraham. Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padanaram to Laban the son of Bethuel the Armean the brother of Rebekah Jacob's and Esau's mother. So what does Isaac do here? Isaac speaks two things over his son. First of all, he, he speaks a blessing over him, his blessing. And then he, he reminds Jacob of the Abrahamic promise. Isaac recognizes that Jacob is the child of promise. And as the child of promise, he carries with him the seed of the Messiah. From him came the future king, King Jesus who came to take away the sins of all mankind. You talk about um, a no-pressure moment, receiving the blessing of his father and being reminded of the Abrahamic promise being transferred to him. That was a, a, a serious pressure, pressure, 
moment is what that was. Next, we read of es- that Esau disrespects Isaac. Notice in verses 6 through 9. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padanaram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalah, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and the sister of Nebaioth. You see what Esau is doing here, don't you? He's, he, he's doing whatever he can to make life miserable for his parents. In Genesis 6, 26, 35, um, we read last week that Esau and his wives made life bitter for his mom and dad. You know, Esau witnessed Isaac bless Jacob. And we know that there was some serious bitterness that, that was present in his heart. We also know that Esau wanted to kill Jacob. That's why Jacob was sent away to Haran to begin with. But here he witnessed um, his dad instruct Jacob to go to his uncle's land to find a wife. He heard that he was to avoid taking a Canaanite woman as a wife. So what does Esau do? He goes out and he finds him a Canaanite woman. This was his way of getting back at his parents and God, wasn't it? This young man was evil. Actually, he wasn't a young man at this point. He's about 70 years old. He was evil and he was defiant. He had no respect for his parents and he had no faith in the Lord. One writer said, carnal people do carnal acts and do not comprehend spiritual truths. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Esau was lost. He acted lost and did lost things. Guess what? Lost people do lost things, don't they? And that's what we see here with Esau. Next, we see Jacob's dream. So let's read here in verses 10 through 11. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. So here's what we see here. Jacob sets out as instructed toward Haran. This would have been about a 500-mile journey. After traveling about 50, 55 miles, he comes to a place called Luz, which would later be called Bethel. It is dark, he is tired, he is probably lonely and afraid. He has no pillow to lay his head on, so what does he do? He takes a stone and he lays his head upon it. Have you ever been so tired that, man, it didn't matter where you laid your head, you fell asleep immediately? Well, that's kind of how we see um, Jacob here. Man, he is exhausted. He is at a place of desperation. He is at a place where he was scared and he wanted the nightmare that he was living to go away. We are told that night Jacob had a dream. And this dream would prove to be a life-changing dream for him. This dream revealed something incredibly important. It's this. God is not distant from us. In verse 12 we read, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. 
And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Up until this moment, as far as we can tell, what Jacob knew about God is what he had learned from his, God, um, from his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. There is no indication whatsoever that he had ever worshipped the Lord for himself or ever had a divine encounter. But on this night, in the most desolate of places, he would close his eyes and have a supernatural encounter with the Lord. He would no longer know God just as the God of Abraham and the God of his father Isaac. But on this day, he would come to know God for himself. You know, here's the thing about faith. Faith is not genetic. You can learn about faith from your parents and from others. You can study the Word of God and learn what faith looks like. For, for example, I was not born a Christian, okay? I was born into a Christian family, but I did not become a Christian until I repented of my sins and received the free gift of salvation at the age of 11. Just because my parents are Christians, that doesn't mean that I was born a Christian. Again, it is not genetic. Faith is something we receive by God. It comes in the form of a gift. In Ephesians 2.8 we read, For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. When God made himself known to me, and I believe, having repented of my sins, it was in that moment that I was saved. For Jacob, no longer was God a, a person he heard about in story form. But for Jacob, God became real and personal on this day. The latter spoken of here is a visual symbol. It is a symbol that God is active in creation and that the angels of heaven are constantly traversing from heaven to earth. The 19th century preacher and theologian Charles Spurgeon said, The God of Bethel is a God who does concern himself with the things of earth, not a God who shuts himself up in heaven, but a God who hath the ladder fixed between heaven and earth. Folks, God is active in creation, isn't he? No greater activity was ever demonstrated than when God left heaven and came and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. God came and dwelt among us, and in fact, Jesus said in John 1.51, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus also said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. When I think about this ladder that, that is, is, is separating um, heaven from earth, I think about Jesus Christ being the bridge that, 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 that lays between godless man and holy God. And the only way that you and I can enter into a relationship with God the Father is through God the Son. It's like there's a great chasm that, that separates us from holy God. And the only way that we can enter into an eternal relationship with God the Father is through God the Son. And that only occurs when we place our faith in Him and when we repent of our sins. You may be here this morning. You've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you do not know where you would spend 
in eternity. I want you to know that God loves you, that God loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to come and dwell among us. I also want you to know that, that God is not distant in some outer, outer solar, the solar universe. Man, God is active in creation. Man, he is present with us this morning. Just as there is this ladder that we're reading about in Scripture here, that ladder still is, 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 is in place today. The angels of heaven are still traversing back and forth, proving that God is not distant, proving that, 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 that God is active in creation and he wants to be active in your life as well. Notice next we see here God's revelation that he makes known to Jacob. In verses 13 through 15, we read, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Notice verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Think about the visual here. Jacob is at the bottom of this ladder looking up. He is witnessing the heavenly host traverse back and forth, and he sees at the top of this ladder the God of the universe. I don't think Jacob had a clue what his purpose in life was before that moment. He was a single man still living with his parents. And as I indicated a second ago, Esau's age was 70 or so. Jacob's age, because they were twins, at this moment in, 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 in time, Jacob was about a 70-year-old man. He would die at the age of 147. Half of his life has been spent as a single man living at home. Jacob would go from a, a person without a purpose to all of a sudden having a purpose in life. And that purpose, the number one purpose, was to carry on the blessing that began with his father Abraham, or his grandfather Abraham, and then his father Isaac, and now is being transferred to him. And God would tell Jacob on this day that I will give you the land, I will give you the land to you and to your offspring. And he also promised him that his offspring would outnumber the grains of sand. Then notice again what he told him in verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have gone what I have promised, until I have done what I have promised to you. If there's anything that makes the night set sweats go away, it is a promise of someone being with you, right? There's a fourfold promise made here by God. First of all, there is the abiding promise. God is with Jacob. That would be a comforting for him knowing that he was still 450 miles away from Haran and still had a long way to go. There was also assured protection that God would keep him. There was the guaranteed guidance and provision that God would bring Jacob back into the land from which he was leaving. And there was also abiding fulfillment that God would never leave him. I want you to know this morning, you and I have the very same promise given to us as Jacob did. We have the promise that God is with us. At the moment of our salvation, we received the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit 
We have the presence of God with us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. We also have the promise that God will protect us. In John 10, what, is, what did Jesus say? He said that no one will be able to snatch us out of the Father's hands. Once we are Jesus's, we are always his. We have protection. There is always also the promise that God will guide us. He will guide us by his word, and he will guide us through the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And we also have the promise that he will never leave us. You know, I hope Jacob clung to those words because he's about to undergo significant testing once he gets to Haran. Next, we see Jacob's response. In verse 16 and 17, we read, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. I love that. How awesome. Man, awesome is one of my favorite words. Don't you just love that, just saying that word, awesome? Man, when was the last time, or have you ever, as a result of having an encounter with the Lord, just saying, man, that was awesome? Man, there's a passage in Ecclesiastes that says, stand in awe of God. And we need to stand in awe of God more, don't we? We need to have more that was awesome moments with the Lord. That can come through our time of corporate worship. It can also come as we worship the Lord on our own. Notice, notice um, after this encounter, notice Jacob's worship. In verses 18 through 21, we read, So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. So Jacob awakes and the first thing he does is he takes that rock he used as a pillow and he builds himself a church right there in Bethel. And he establishes a place of worship. He worships the Lord because of the encounter he had with the Lord. You know, we, we have come together this morning in this place to worship the Lord. Like I, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, man, this is our Bethel. This is our Beersheba, but this should not be the only place that we worship, Right? We should also worship the Lord in our homes. We should worship the Lord in our cars. We should worship the Lord at our places of business as well as at our schools. Every place can be a place of worship, but there is something um, incredibly biblically important about us also worshiping together as a corporate body. Let me make one note here. Okay, notice that Jacob makes a vow. In verse 20, Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will, okay, and then get down to the end in verse 21, then the Lord shall be my God. Okay, there's a problem with that, right? Know that Jacob is a work in progress. We're going to see over the next coming weeks, Jacob make many, many, many mistakes, okay? He's going to mess up more times than he's going to get things right. But in the end, we know that Jacob's going to get it right. But it's going to take some time before he gets there. Here's what I want us to know um, this morning um, based upon Jacob's response. Know that God does not bargain with us. 
Either we believe in him or we don't believe in him. Faith is not about, God, if you do this, then I will do this. Faith is us trusting and believing that God will do all that he says that he will do. That's what faith is. Jacob, he tried to bargain with God there. But God doesn't bargain with us, does he? And God doesn't want just part of us. He wants all of us. And he wants us on his terms and not our terms. In closing this morning, notice how this chapter ends. It ends with Jacob committing to tithe. In verse 22 we read, And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all and of all that you give me, I will give a full tent to you. You know, we're told that Jacob makes a commitment to tie the tenth of all that he has to the Lord. As far as we know, this 70-plus-year-old man has nothing to his name. What, what did he have that he could possibly tithe to the Lord? You know, we don't know the details of this. What we know is that Jacob recognized that an extension of his worship is to give back to God that which God had given to him. In the years ahead, Jacob would become very rich and would offer up sacrifices to the Lord. You and I give because it is an extension of our worship. And we recognize everything that we have belongs to the Lord. We're just temporary stewards of it. And I think that Jacob, at this moment in his life, recognized that everything that he has, every blessing that he has received and every gift that he will get is from the Lord. And he wanted to make it known on that day that, that everything that I have is yours. And he made a commitment that he was going to tie the tenth of all that he had. You know, as we close this morning, let me ask you a question. Have you just heard about God? Maybe heard about him from your parents. Maybe heard about him at church as you've heard... Um, the preacher or the teacher. Maybe you've heard and read about God in his word, but you have yet to come to know him as your Lord and Savior. If you've just heard about him and do not know him, I want to invite you this morning to come to know him as your Lord and Savior. I also want to encourage all of us not to be like Jacob. Don't remain at a place of sin. Last week he was at a place of sin, but this week we see him worshiping the Lord. And then finally, be a person of worship and a person, person of the word. Man, let's worship the Lord here. Let's worship the Lord there. Let's worship the Lord everywhere because that's what we're commanded to do. Again, if you're here this morning, if you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says that if you do that, you shall be saved. So if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to come. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and I want to invite you to come. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, just again, thanking you for the time, for our time of worship. Thanking you for our time, Lord, where we've been able to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you for the time of worship where we've been able to study your word and look at Jacob. Look at his dad, Isaac. 
Father, we know that neither of those men were perfect. We know just like us, they messed up, they fell short, they were sinners, but we also know in the end that they were saved by grace. Father, I pray that if there is someone in this room that is yet to experience and receive the free gift of salvation, I pray that today they will do that. I pray that today will be the day that they repent of their sins. And today will be the day that they confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And today will be the day that they believe in their heart in the resurrection. Father, if there's someone here this morning that is just struggling and hurting and they need somebody to pray for them, I pray that they will come as well. Maybe they need to go to somebody in this room and just say, hey, will you pray for me? I don't know what decision needs to be made, but I know that you are speaking to our hearts. Just speak to us continually this morning. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.